subsidized housing, new cell phones, and perfect attendance bonuses. These are just a few of the efforts Indiana-based operator Majestic Care has taken to recruit and retain staff at a time when nursing homes are facing historic labor shortages that have only been exacerbated by the pandemic. The nursing home industry has lost 241,000 direct care workers since the start of the pandemic, according to data collected by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Through what it calls the Majestic Difference, Majestic Care has spent the last 12 months revamping its pay structures and benefits programs. Bernie McGinnis, Majestic Care's CEO, that responding to the challenges the pandemic has highlighted comes down to offering things to employees that make a difference. I spoke with Bernie to find out why. Before we get to that interview, I wanted to promote our in-person Rethink conference happening on September 1st in Chicago. Hosted by Skilled Nursing News, Rethink is the premier skilled nursing event dedicated to trends, challenges, and the future of the industry. Be sure to visit skillednursingnews.com events for the latest updates on the conference and our other scheduled events. Bernie, it's been a crazy two years with COVID-19, and in recent weeks, we've seen the federal government roll out a huge package of proposed nursing home reforms and CMS float a big Medicare rate cut for the next year. So how does it feel to be leading a skilled nursing operator right now? It's a little scary at times. I try and remain optimistic about post-acute care, skilled nursing, but uh, I guess those, those uh, two big proposals and the Medicare rate cut, it just very disappointing to the point angers me a little bit coming out of the pandemic and all the stories. And I, I know within our own organization, the, the caregivers who are on that front line. And I think it's uh, pretty quick to forget how the skilled nursing industry was right at the heart of the pandemic on that front line, dealing with it, protecting our most fragile Americans our nursing home residents and our staff were scared when COVID hit and the, and the world shut down and, and they still kept coming back in every day to work. It's taken a drain on our workforce, which I'm sure we'll talk about today. So I just very disappointed, a little scary how quickly I think um, legislation, um, our politicians have forgot and CMS has forgot what we're dealing with. We're not out of the woods yet with the pandemic. We're not in full on recovery. I think we're starting to try to recover in different areas of the country are recovering quicker than others. But we're, we're nowhere near where we need to be as an industry. And a lot of these, especially the proposals, come really without a plan for how we're going to get there. And we need reimbursement. We need real conversations. We need a collaborative approach to fixing real issues. And, and both of these are just punitive approaches. A 4.6% cut to Medicare at this time just really doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services did recently propose its payment rate update to nursing home reimbursement for the next fiscal year, which does, as you mentioned, include a 4.6% cut related to the patient-driven payment model, PDPM. How do you anticipate this potential cut might impact Majestic Care and the industry as a whole? Well, I know for us at Majestic Care, we're not going to be any different than the industry and the impact. Medicare is usually the best payer type we see in our facilities, and we're struggling with occupancy being down, revenue being down, and to take a cut of this magnitude to our the best payer type that you're going to see in a skilled nursing 
facility at this time, as we're still recovering, trying to bounce back, grow census. We have a workforce that our our costs just continue to go up well ahead of any um, wage index adjustment. Inflation has hit the entire country and, and we're feeling the effect and whether it's food, medical supplies, utilities, it, it doesn't matter. Every sector of our business, we're seeing increased costs and then to come in and, and cut our, our reimbursement. It's going to hurt. It's going to force certain providers to make some tough decisions. Going to have to figure out where we can make that up. We already have many facilities and distressed facilities that we've acquired that are still on their on their journey back in recovery and looking at their their financial performance, making sure that we're able to stabilize the financial performance of those buildings um, while trying to absorb this cut to our Medicare payment. It, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, I think some of the recalibration is flawed. You know, we're, we're looking at PDPM. It was so new. And then COVID and the pandemic hit. And to compare it back to a rugs for environment, it just does, it seems like a flawed methodology. It just doesn't seem like you can compare the acuity that we've seen in the aftermath with COVID on the pre-pandemic type of residents and the care in which our residents were receiving and we were being reimbursed for. It's just a methodology that I don't want to get too far into the details. I think I've read a couple really good papers. Mark Zimmett put a nice white paper out the other day on the methodology and some of the details on the flaw. And I, I just would have to say that it, it, can't, it comes at the wrong time and it, it, will, it will hurt. It will hurt, I'll speak for Majestic Care here, and it will, it will hurt us as an organization. You know, it could be anywhere from six to $8 per patient day, um, all told. And those are real dollars for us that um, pay an invoice or help us make payroll. Um, in different buildings. So we'll have to look at our costs. We'll have to go back to some of our vendors. We'll have to look at our contracting, our pricing, uh, all of those different items. We'll have to look at our budgets as we uh, prepare for the 23 budgets towards the end of the fiscal year here. Yeah, as you mentioned, with the PDPM recalibration, CMS did decide to delay that recalibration last year for one year due to the effects COVID still had on the industry. What do you think has changed in the federal agency's mind in deciding to potentially apply this 4.6% recalibration at a time when much of the industry is still in recovery mode, as you mentioned? I wish I knew what was going through a federal agency's mind. I think the timing just wasn't right a year ago. The pandemic was still way too fresh. Omnicon variant then hit. The waves were still coming through. I think the pandemic has died down. We're seeing less variants. The last variant had less um, deaths associated with it, less hospitalizations. We're seeing a greater percentage of residents and staff now with um, being boosted um, rather alone being vaccinated. So I think they feel like now's the time to come in and recalibrate. It's on the heels. They obviously have the support of the current administration in a punitive approach to skilled nursing. The goodwill that was shown towards the nursing home industry during 2020 and early 21 
while we were battling COVID-19 like the rest of the world was. That goodwill seems to have ended over the last few months, uh, at least from Washington. And certainly we'll circle back and talk more about payment and policy a little later, but staffing is another huge issue. So let's, let's turn to that. The skilled nursing industry is facing a staffing crisis at a time when many operators are still recovering census from COVID and simultaneously digesting newly developed regulations. What are some of the innovative efforts Majestic Care has undertaken to recruit and retain staff? I would say this has been our biggest priority over the last 12 months. When COVID-19 hit and the pandemic hit, we were a young organization, about 18 months old. I've just I'm really proud of our team and how they responded to the pandemic. Our vice president of clinical services stepped up and became a policy expert for us and keeping all the different states guidance and watching the press conferences every afternoon and reading the memos and adjusting policy, communicating it out. And at that time, we thought maybe staff were scared. We, We did see you know, our staffing numbers impacted right away, um, whether it was with the masks, COVID-19 being in facilities, people were scared. All you heard on the news was nursing homes and COVID-19 and deaths. It was a scary time to be a LPN, to be a nurse, to be a dietary worker in a skilled nursing facility. And we saw that initial decrease in the number of staff that we had. As the pandemic went along, it just wasn't getting better. So about a year ago, we pulled our executive team together. We really challenged ourselves as an organization. How do we respond to this new workforce, this new modern workforce? Because we were noticing it's not just skilled nursing, though I think we've been impacted harder than most professions as we haven't seen a recovery yet. We haven't seen people come back into the sector, return back to work. What we saw is we're battling against every industry. We used to talk about how do we compare to the competitor down the street, the other competitor in our county. You know, for for staff in our culinary departments, we're going against the local restaurants. We're looking at those wage scales, housekeeping and laundry staff. We're looking at the hospitality industry. We're competing with the hotel, some large national brands. For our healthcare workers, we saw a great retirement and in nurses, we saw, we've seen hospitals hire more LPNs now, not just registered nurses. That's taken a drain in so many of our markets on the nursing workforce and the availability of nurses out there. So we challenged ourselves, what do we need to do different? Let's quit burying our head in the sand. Let's quit thinking that it's just going to recover on its own. But how do we become aggressive? We've taken a more data, a more analytical approach to recruiting. We've expanded our talent acquisition department. We look at it more from like a uh, marketing, trending, looking at our referral sources. We've got aggressive with some online marketing. And in return, we also looked at ways in which we could do a better job as an employer providing benefits to our care team members that really positively impact their life so that we're more than just a job, that we could be a career, we can be a part of their life because we're not just looking for a workforce, we're working for, we're looking for caregivers, we're looking for a care force here and we need, we need staff that are answering that call, that the ability to serve 
the elderly, the ability to come in and and make a positive impact in the lives of these residents. They, they really become an extended family. We're not just looking for um, someone to box up T-shirts or flip a burger, but really become an extended family and be that caregiver in some of those most intimate moments in human life near the end of the life for some of the most fragile Americans. And so how do we how do we recruit and retain this staff? So we put together what we call the majestic difference. And the majestic difference, we looked at each facility, we've done wage adjustments as you know, we have to respond to our markets. We've taken our our direct care nursing wages over the last two years, they're up over 22%. So we've adjusted those um, frontline wages to be competitive in our market, to recruit the best, to recruit from our competitors, but also those non-clinical areas so that we can recruit away from other industries and see if we can have people return back into skilled nursing. In addition, we looked at other benefits. We put in one item that we saw that was really hurting our company specifically were then staffing was already at some critical measures here. And you would work with different agencies to try and get holes filled for the weekend or for the upcoming week. You'd schedule your nurse managers and your staff or your personal care attendants, those non-certified CNAs in our states and different department heads that were PCAs. And we try and schedule all everybody out for the next week or two and get all the holes filled the best we could, reach out to the agencies, pay these absorbent fees, these price gouging fees, offer the pickup bonuses. We're paying hero pay when we're in COVID. And we're doing all these different items and you get there and it's Saturday and then two people call off. And we just didn't have the bench that we used to have to go into. The agency couldn't help you at the last minute. Your nurse management had already picked up. They'd already worked a double on Friday. They'd already worked on Saturday. Your department heads had already picked up extra shifts. Your staff had had picked up extra shifts. There was just no one else to pick up those shifts. And so how do we detour the call-ins? We understand that life happens and there are going to be times in which our staff have to call in. But how do we avoid those unnecessary call-ins? That was really, it was becoming a backbreaker to us as a, as a corporation, as a company. So we put in a perfect attendance bonus. We moved all of our facilities into weekly pay to try and help our care team members make sure that they had cash flow coming in on a weekly basis, able to pay those bills. And we just think that that's a benefit we hear from our frontline staff that they very much enjoy. So we brought that to all of our facilities. And then we said, hey, if you show up, whether you're part-time or full-time to every shift this week and you work every shift, you can be late this week, you can be tardy for a shift, but as long as you show up for every shift, we pay each direct care team member $5 more an hour. It's a significant benefit to our frontline staff. That's in addition to the increases in base rates that we put in over the last two years as well. In addition, we looked at other what we would call fringe benefits. Um, how, do we, how do we invest in our care team members? We came up with Majestic Mobile. It's part of the Majestic Difference. Um, package 
We have an employee perks program called Panda that helps get discounts on anything from movie tickets to amusement park tickets to 40% off scrubs for the Majestic Care team members all through a website and shows what discounts you get through different vendors. We challenge, what can we do that's more substantial than 15% off your coffee? You know, and we thought, you know, all of our care team members have cell phones. They all, it's the new way to stay connected to your world, whether it's through social media, the internet, calling our family, um, WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it might be. Everybody has a smartphone. And I know that our care team members, a lot of our care team members struggled with that, whether it's they had those prepaid phones, track phones, changing phone numbers often. I'd hear that from our nurse schedulers. What can we do to invest in our care team members and do something that I don't think anyone else was doing? And and we call it the Majestic Mobile Program. Every full-time care team member who hires on with our organization on their first day of employment receives a brand new Android smartphone on the T-Mobile National Network for unlimited talk, text, and data. As long as they're employed, we continue to pay for that for them. That's been a big hit. We've literally seen care team members either through an acquisition. We just did one recently where we handed those out the first day we came in. And and the staff, literally, we had staff break down into tears. Uh, I've never had a smartphone. I can't believe what this is. I can't believe I really get one. It's really made a big difference. Uh, it's been a popular benefit. We looked at our healthcare, tried to make sure we expanded our healthcare and made sure we had affordable healthcare for our frontline staff. Only about 27, 28% of our full-time care team members even took healthcare benefit. So how do we do a better job making it affordable and still offering a good quality healthcare plan? And we took some of those costs on here with our last renewal, and we went with a large national provider, and we offer health care for our care team member. They can insure themselves for as low as $15 per week. That's, that's not a catastrophic plan. That is a full high-deductible health insurance plan, $15 a week. So about one hour's worth of work that week, you can insure yourself with a reliable national health care coverage. So we worked hard at that. We came up with other items. We increased our holiday pay. We increased overtime on holiday. We, we did some different things like that. And then we've gone into some urban markets now, and we've looked at apartment complexes. And we've partnered with some apartment complexes in Columbus, Ohio, Cincinnati, Louisville, Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're going into Detroit and Indianapolis soon where we have some apartment complexes that will offer anyone who works for Majestic Care 20% off their rent. So I I use the example in Columbus, Ohio. Say you were an STNA in Columbus. You're a nursing assistant prior to the pandemic, prior to the Majestic difference. You made about $13 an hour, $13.50 an hour. After pay raises, now you make $14.50 an hour. Okay, so now every month you make $160 more and you were paying for your housing, you were paying for your phone, you weren't taking insurance, you were paying for your utilities. And we were still asking you to come to work and if you didn't show up and didn't have good attendance, you lost money or you could go through progressive discipline for attendance and you could lose your job. 
or you would begin that process and then it's a beautiful weekend and we could no call, no show for the weekend. And then I'd go get a job down the road at a competitor. We wanted to stop that cycle. So now that aide who made $13.50 and had all these expenses now makes an extra $160 a month. And here are the expenses that we were able to try and eliminate for them. You work every shift this month, you can make an eight, extra $800 on top of your base rate by showing up to work through the majestic difference, having that perfect attendance. Out of that $800, your one-bedroom apartment costs $714 there. With the majestic difference, it costs $571. With the $571, you can pay utilities, you can insure yourself for $15 a week, and you have a free smartphone with unlimited talk, text, and data, all for the majestic difference. And we think that's the type of benefit that is speaking to our staff. We think that is not just saying, hey, we care about you and you make the difference, but actually walking the walk to our care team members and showing them, hey, I remember what it's like to be a CNA. I, I was talking to a group of our HR folks just today in our buildings and we're doing some training for them here at the home office. And I went down there and I mean, I remember being a CNA making five fifteen an hour trying to have my first apartment, you know, be a young adult, live on my own. I remember becoming a nurse, making $13.50 an hour with uh, two children under 13 months old, trying to support a family. That's hard. So how, I didn't have an employer who had the majestic difference at that time. I'm hoping that the benefits and the things we continue to challenge ourselves as an organization I hope that they continue to make the difference for our care team members. I believe that's how we have to respond to the pandemic. I see other operators out there throughout the country doing some creative items. I see people expanding their benefits. I know people are ex increasing wages across the board. Majestic, we've really taken the approach to try and find those benefits that integrate into the lives of our care team. We're working with our HR team, our employee perks team on other benefits, whether it's with childcare, we have a childcare consultant now that our care team members can use that will help negotiate 10, 15% off childcare, find childcare that's local to them for off hours, evening shift childcare, night shift childcare, whatever it might be. Since each market that we operate in have different choices, we're looking at some different items that would help with some basics in food some discounting in, in food. This really stemmed from our own buildings. All these ideas come from our facility leaders, whether some of our facilities have started some pantries in their, in their facility for our care team. Don't ask, don't tell, just here's some canned goods, here's some, here's some bread, some pantries for our care team members that they can just take as they need back home without having to come to ask for it. We're trying to um, work with some grocers, some national chains, and, and see if we could get some discounts on that. So I, I think we're trying to respond in a way that it helps not only us recruit staff, but then retain those care team members who answer that call every day, who provide good care, who show up to work every day for the shifts they're scheduled, and let them know that they're working for a company that cares about their, their well-being and continues to add different items into our benefit package 
This has changed and morphed over the last 12 months, and it will continue to change and morph over the next 12 months, the next 24 months. It's a challenge we've placed amongst our executive team, and they do an outstanding job bringing ideas to the table and finding solutions to the problems we've had. Absolutely. Yeah. It sounds like a very comprehensive plan that you guys have put together. And it's been interesting to hear from operators. Uh, Our colleagues have spoken with a bunch of people who have come up with all sorts of different ideas. And I think the thing that we're finding out, and I'm sure you can understand this and and hear it all the time is that, you know, it's no longer just about the the increased pay and the extra, you know, dollar or two. Certainly that does make a difference. Don't get me wrong, but it sounds like from what you've seen and, and from what you guys have implemented that a much more comprehensive and thorough uh, looking into what employees want seems to be making the difference at the end of the day at a time when recruiting and retaining staff has probably never been harder. It's never been harder. And I know that's one thing that angers me when I said anger earlier on is the perception of the skilled nursing operator. I, I talked to many. I was talking to a couple of CEOs and COs yesterday at, in, at the Indiana convention and this is the first thing we all talk about. What are we doing? How are you doing this? Everyone, they're losing sleep about it. Everyone wants to find solutions here. There are great people that work in this industry. And I mean, great people who answer the call every day, who get in their car and drive two hours when the facility needs you, who answer the phone all hours of the day, who understand what it's like to take vacation, but still check your email, still respond to your texts, still get on an event call or still do a reportable from your laptop in the hotel room after you put the kids down after Disney. We have incredible people in this industry who are all trying to figure out how do we respond to this? And yet, you know, we get different policies and I I know we'll talk about it more that attack the skilled nursing operator. And that's where I take offense because I know they're there's always in every industry and in every business in the world, there's going to be some bad apples, but there are great people. There are great people that I've met on, on this journey. And I, I look forward to meeting more and more. I learned so much from my peers, from people I meet in this industry and to hear their passion for what we do. It's truly the best part of this journey to me is all the different people I've met and the kindness that I feel from the people in this industry, though we're competitors We're all in this together to take care of the elderly, to take care of the sick and frail. And we all just want to make sure that we're providing good quality and and find staff who want to do the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you brought this up, but the topic of agency. I know last month we talked to you guys about how your uh, facility in Toledo had eliminated agency, which I'm sure is an exciting prospect for many operators to hear. Can you dive into the strategies deployed there and how the team in Toledo reached that goal? Yeah, really. It started with Kathleen, their executive director. We purchased that building on December 17th and we started getting to work with Kathleen and her leadership team and our director of nursing and scheduler there and said, okay, what can we do? We were able to come in right away and implement the majestic difference, start our recruiting, bring our talent acquisition team. Uh, We have a expanding talent acquisition team able to start running ads, start the recruiting, the hiring process, but really it became a mindset for the leadership team in the building. Just because you have a call-in doesn't mean automatically agency is going to fill the call-in. 
it's okay for someone internally to pick up that shift. It's okay to look at a nurse manager to see how they can help us fill some of our open shifts this week. We're not going to use agency as a crutch. Obviously, we had to hire enough staff to, to get to that point. I believe you know, we were able to go agency-free in about 60 days in that location. We've remained agency-free. We were able to hire nine nurses in the first 30 days by attracting them with the majestic difference, by following up on our on our leads, by doing a targeted recruiting effort um, through our talent acquisition department. But really, it comes down to the buy-in and the dedication at the local level. Our regional vice president in Ohio really challenged him last fall that, hey, your facilities are using a ton of agency. Look what it's doing to the financial performance of the building, but stop looking there. Let's look at the regulatory outcomes. Let's look at our quality measures, the documentation, all the things that when you have agency staff, they don't have the buy-in to the success of the facility. They don't anticipate the care plan needs of our residents. They don't know the residents. They don't become the family like that. If they do a poor job and we ask them not to come back, they're going to get a shift down the street or across town. They, they just don't have that accountability. So how do we come up with a real plan? And he worked with each building leader, Toledo being a new building, and they really bought into the things you have to do. You know, you have to follow up on those interviews. You have to get that offer letter out. You have to make sure that we're looking at fair wages. We had to implement the majestic difference. We had to be strategic in our recruiting efforts, not just lackadaisical, let a nurse sit in the lobby for a half hour because we're too busy. We're in the conference room. I don't have time to interview this nurse. It had to become urgent. Kathleen, her team there, um, they just did an outstanding job. And, you know, throughout all of Ohio now, we have six locations. We just acquired a six location eight days ago in North Cincinnati. That facility is tracking to be agency-free on May 1st. So we anticipate um, being out of agency there. But we have two buildings in Columbus and two more buildings on the north side of Cincinnati. We do have one building in downtown Columbus that uses some agency staffing for nurses, but we use no STNAs, no, no nursing assistant agency throughout Ohio. And we don't use any nursing agency in any of the other um, majestic buildings. And like I said, our newest acquisition should should be out of agency within the first month. So we do think the majestic difference is working. Now, it is hard to stay out of agency and, and have your census recover and keep and retain all that staff. So it's it's a constant process. But the, the executive directors in those buildings have done an excellent job. Absolutely. It sounds like it. And so as I, as I touched on briefly at the beginning of our conversation, the Biden administration recently unveiled an intensive list of proposed nursing home reforms, which include staffing minimums and a deeper dive into private equities involvement in the space. Do you think there's a place for federal staffing minimums in skilled nursing? And if so, what does that look like? What are your thoughts on minimums set at the state level? Yeah, I, I'm not right now. I don't know where we'd find the staff. You can give us a minimum and whatever number I see thrown out there. We would like to run staff. I, I'm not opposed to the minimum federal staffing if it comes with solutions and a collaborative approach and has reimbursement that meets the needs of that staffing requirement. 
I think we're looking at staffing wrong. I think we need to look at what, let's define what is that direct care staff. Are our therapists not direct care staff? Can we expand the role of the caregiver? We've seen the success and the usage of the non-certified aid. How do we look at all those people who are caregivers, truly? We need to define what direct care staff is. Is it the dietary department? Is it therapy? Is it activities or recreational therapy? Is it the respiratory therapist in the facility? Is it the social worker? Is it the nurse and aide? Is it the qualified medication tech? Is it a nurse practitioner? Let's define it. Let's be consistent in who we define and capture who that direct care is and take credit. And then with any directive from the federal government, I would like the answer of who's going to pay for it. How are we going to pay for an increased PPD or an increased requirement? Not just a punitive, here's your fine if you don't get there. But how are we going to collaboratively come together with real solutions? And these solutions aren't going to happen overnight. We need to look at training, nursing school, pipeline. How do we attract people into this career? How do we have different states that have a career track and help funding for people to become a certified nursing assistant or to become an LPN right out of high school or as a second career or re-entering the workplace and now they wanna give back and be a healthcare provider. We need to talk about the whole array of ways in which we can attract staff back into the workforce and not just be punitive and throw out an arbitrary number that is backed by zero, zero support but only teeth to be punitive on fines, ridiculous fine increases to providers, just arbitrary numbers pulled out and put in a memo that attack an industry that is still trying to recover from the greatest challenge it's ever seen in the COVID-19 pandemic. Once again, I'm not opposed. I understand the staffing minimums and what's driving that from that from patient advocacy groups. I understand that it's about quality and getting the care and making sure that our our residents have the staff there to provide the plan of care, to provide that satisfaction, to spend the time holding the hands of our residents and, and to drive those quality outcomes. I understand, I think that's everyone's goal, but we need to have real discussions with the federal government, with CMS, with our legislators and try and figure out real approaches to a problem that doesn't, it didn't just come up because of the pandemic, it existed prior. The pandemic and, and post-pandemic has just exacerbated an already crucial, I call it the second pandemic, the staffing challenges right now. Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about redefining direct care and who might qualify under that definition, because I know that in the state of Florida, the state legislature worked up to free some of that mandatory CNA hour care because they were having trouble hiring CNAs and, and opened it up to a little bit wider proportion of the healthcare population. So that was one interesting way. And that came to mind when you were talking about that as, as kind of the reassessment of the de definition perhaps of direct care and what that looks like. Yeah, I, I saw that. And I, I applaud Florida for doing that, you know, for opening that up and expanding the definition. I think we need to do that at a national level at each state we operate. And I still think we need to look at those non-certified caregiver roles and expansion of 
CNA pipelines and LPNs, registered nurses, but our therapists are an integral part of our day-to-day facility operations and they provide outstanding care. They're spending a lot of good quality one-on-one time with our residents. And I just want to make sure as we're looking at avoiding long-term long-term care, quality measures, avoiding those um, return to hospitalizations, trips to the emergency room, looking at all those different departments that we operate today and, and looking at that definition of threat care. I, I just think now is the time to have these discussions. I think America did see the important role that post-acute care, skilled nursing, nursing homes play in their local communities. It was really brought to light, whether you like it or not, it was brought to light in the pandemic. But now is the time we need to have those discussions. I know I've ramped up some of my efforts to talk to local politicians and to support our association in a, in a larger way, because I want to have these discussions and start seeing, can we make change? I know Mark Parkinson and Aka and They do a great job at a national level, but I'm working with some different groups so that we can continue to get this message out. And hopefully we can get people talking and have a collaborative approach to fixing a real issue, making sure we can continue to provide quality care in the nursing homes across America. And how do we attract staff and retain staff that want to provide that quality care? Spending just a bit more time on the Biden administration's proposed reform, another topic that has been in discussion by the industry is the Biden administration's increased focus on private equity investment in this space. As an operator, who do you think should be investing in skilled nursing? And what are your thoughts on the administration's laser focus on private equity? Yeah, once again, I'd like to define private equity. Is it a read? Is it a single mom and pop owner? Because it's one owner and it's their own private equity? Is it Is it money raised from a group of investors or is it true private equity funds? I can tell you we've we've grown a lot over the last four years and we put significant dollars in each facility that we purchase, whether from a capital standpoint into the care team members. I see a lot of different ownership structures out there and operators that are investing significant capital into these buildings, into these physical plants. I don't think it's the government's job to tell us who should own a business. I think it's I think it's our job to make sure that the the market says, hey, as an owner, you've done a good job. Your occupancy's up. You're doing well financially and you're doing well with quality outcomes. Right. You're producing a quality product. The community's purchasing it. You've invested in your building. Your staff have remained stable and let those providers win out over providers who maybe are cutting corners, aren't putting the money in, aren't producing the quality outcome in their market, and therefore they'll, they will suffer with decreased occupancy and financial performance. I think the attack on private equity is just simply misguided. I, I think it's a popular item right now. Do we want to talk about transparency? Fine. I think everyone would be willing to sit down and talk about how, how are we more transparent in certain factors? How do we report more? I would like us to be more transparent in the survey process. I'm very interested in hearing Seema Verma and and some of her thoughts on a data-driven approach to the survey process and and looking at our current survey process and saying, how how do we use the data that we collect through MDSs 
throughout the nation and how are we more consistent in how we survey our facilities versus you know coming in running in on every complaint or the opinion of one surveyor the personalities of a surveyor visit but let's look at the uh, quality metrics that we have the self-reported information the quality outcomes claims-based outcomes and how do we drive that quality how do we validate the documentation and how do we survey ourselves you know our health inspection scores make up a lot of our five star they make up how you're contracted they're making up our value-based purchasing they're making up our our Medicaid reimbursement, uh, the the risk reward. And sometimes these health inspections, they're just not consistent. They're not consistent by regions within a state. They're not consistent states to state. So if we're going to have conversation about anything, whether it's transparency and ownership, I'd like to start having conversation about transparency within the survey process. Uh, Because I believe that we're a free country. And if you want to purchase skilled nursing facilities, you should be able to purchase skilled nursing facility. And if you do well, that's because you're putting money in your building and you're providing a quality product to your community. That's why you'll do well. So I, I just think the attack is misguided. Mm-hmm. Now let, let's uh, let's spend some time looking ahead, thinking about the rest of this year and beyond. What service lines or other investments do you think skilled nursing operators should set their sights on to move the needle forward for their companies? And what has Majestic Care already invested in or made plans to do so in the future? We, um, yeah, we purchased these facilities recently. We acquired those buildings back in July. We acquired three more buildings in August. We're trying to be strategic. We've acquired three, four, five five buildings at the end of the year and just one here to begin um, Q2. We're trying to be strategic in our growth. We're looking at cluster markets. We're looking at expanding our footprint, building our markets to scale so that we have the proper nursing support, operational support to help our facility leadership, but also the ability to have shared staffing, look at use and growth of our internal float pool that we've talked about in the past. And it's easier to do when you have three or four buildings um, within an hour of one another. It also gives you some market presence with your referral sources. It allows you to define and put in some specialty clinical niches, whether it's in-house hemodialysis units, short-term rehab unit, private room memory cares, um, respiratory ventilator care. You can put in behavioral care. You can put in defined clinical niches meet the needs of the local healthcare community, your referral sources. You can look at some efficiencies in your operational management and oversight, and you can look at some shared staffing opportunities to help the burden of the workforce in which we've talked about. Majestic Care continues to look to grow. We'll, we'll close a few more buildings here this year that makes sense for us strategically. And as we look at um, long-term, the managed care penetration, within um, our payer types, whether it's through Medicare Advantage um, replacement plans or through uh, managed Medicaid products in different states. We also think that coming to the table with a healthy amount of lives, residents, and key markets, being able to meet those things will help as we sit down at the table and, and look at contracting and the ability to service these communities and, and be reimbursed fairly for the services in which we provide from the managed care providers. 
That's all we have for this episode of Rethink. Be sure to visit skillednursingnews.com for the latest insights and industry news and subscribe to Rethink to be notified when new episodes are released. Available now on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SoundCloud. I'm Jordan Ryland for Skilled Nursing News. Thanks for listening.